gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 128 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I am your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, man, what do we got for everybody today? going to be a conversation episode so Mm. dan this is an idea you've been kicking around for a little bit and we've had to find the right window of time to do it but going to be a conversation about how to get back into the hobby now obviously if you're already listening to the show you are either in or getting back in or you're an observer (laughs) of the warhammer hobby so while this isn't something that really you or I have a ton of experience in, Mm. it's going to be more of a conversation around, you know, some of the questions to ask yourself and the resources that are available to fit the different level of gamer. So probably going to be one of our shorter shows, but Mm. fear not. Give you a preview of the end here. The Cities of Sigmar is going to be our next one. And that's uh, (laughs) That's a crazy adventure, man. They called a a lot of units in that book and it's still a big book. It's like, what, 200 pages or some insanity? Yeah. Yeah. And just to piggyback on Brendan, your conversation was, it's not just for people who have left the hobby. It's also for those who know somebody who's left and like encourage them back. So maybe that's a resource for them as well. If they've got a friend who, you know, they want to talk to about it or uh, that kind of thing. We think it'll be of interest for just about everyone. That's it. That's going to be the main topic today. With that, let us zoom in to whispers from the warp. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. My friend, hobby time for you. Yeah, so I built a couple of the bow gossamids. That's what they're called. Yeah, yeah. For Sylvaneth. And I built a box of Stormdrake Guard. Oh, okay. And I'm clipping away at some cruel boys now, so I really (laughs) super know what I'm doing. You're all over Uh, the place. Jeez, it's great. Yeah, so. Wow. uh, Yeah, just a number of different things. You know, don't really know what I want to be working on, so I'm continuing my disparate and aimless construction of models. Oh, sure. Obviously, you had your big announcement last show, so your hobby is a little more coherent. Yes, it's a little more focused. I have, at this point, built 40 blood letters, 15 corn dogs, which I got off of eBay, and they look great. And I also did five warmongers. And I just finished Fulgas Shutter... What is it? Shutter Coven or... Shutterhood, that's it. That sounds right. Shutterhood, yeah. Uh, So I've got all those models that need to be primed. With all of that, plus the other stuff I have already done, I have got plenty to keep me busy in terms of painting over the winter. (laughs) It's like I just put a bunch of food into a storeroom for (laughs) getting ready for the winter time. And now... Gonna need this later. (laughs) I've got lots and lots of time to take my time to get all this stuff done. So it's pretty cool. You know, it's funny that last time you asked me the question, if I hadn't done blades you know as terms my new armor what else might i have done and i said i really didn't have anything but i think one thing i've had interest in for a long time is like a nurgle fly army sure and this shutterhood thing kind of got me my nurgle fix you know i built a couple of light lords and <laughs> yeah, some flight kings and the harbinger so i've never built nurgle before and i'm looking at 
like, how the hell do I paint these guys? Because I have no idea. Uh, so that'll be really interesting um, to come that's, up with palettes. That's one of the really nice things about Nurgle, you know, on the topic of the show for people getting back into the hobby, is the degree of difficulty on painting something to an acceptable level mm, mm-hmm. is super, super, super doable with Nurgle, right? You know, mm-hmm. like, it's very forgiving aesthetically. Yes. If you'd be worried about your painting chops... It's an army where, you know, you can make mistakes and people aren't going to necessarily notice. And then the folks that paint it really well, it's always stunning. Pre-orders. Well, we know the city's box is coming out. And there is a Seraphon Vanguard box. There's a bunch of kill team stuff in the 40K side. The Marines got a Vanguard box, the Primaris guys as well. For drops, we talked about this last week, but it's the Crypt of Blood box for Warcry. And there's two warbands that come with that. So those are available as well. But those are all pre-orders and drops. There really isn't a whole lot else out there other than stuff that's sold out. And frankly, after considering for a while, just so listeners know, if there's something that's sold out, I'm not going to mention it because <laughs> it's going to be a little more difficult to get a hold of it anyway. So you're probably going to go to an alternate source. We know that the GW's doing a preview tomorrow. Nova. Nova preview. And there was a really awesome uh, Auric model that they showed look really really cool so everybody will have either watched it or maybe they never knew about it and when they listen they'll go oh okay and it'll all be on on the youtubes or somewhere you can listen to it games played other than sigma my friend i have been playing madden 24 Mm -hmm. i received it as a gift from a friend oh neat and so i haven't i'm not a buy madden every year kind of guy okay I couldn't tell you exactly what year my last Madden was. <laughs> 2001. So... <laughs> no, not that long ago. It's definitely in the 2020s. Okay. But like, I have a group of friends that like we would regularly play like the same age of mm-hmm. Madden for a while. And I told them that this one is like, I'm shocked. Changes were actually made. You know, things that are mm-hmm. meaningfully different, at least from the one that I owned. Normally, it's just a reskin year over year of the same game. And, you know, they tweak a small thing here, tweak a small thing there. So this will tide me over until the new NCAA game drops next year. So cool. been doing that. Been playing Magic on my phone to kill time yes. here and there. That's pretty much that. You're going to about to... <laughs> Lose a lot of time here, Dan. This is scary as whatever. Listeners, Starfield is a science fiction version. We're going to say not exactly a Skyrim, but it's similar to in that it's a single kind of a life simulator kind of a deal, but it's set in the sci-fi world, obviously, instead of the fantasy world. Just looks fantastic. If you haven't seen it yet, just check it out. You know, there's plenty of videos about it and what it looks well, like the, and what it's going to do. The reason you say Skyrim is because it's a Bethesda game. So. Yes, right. This is something I'm really excited about because, again, as you know, with my science interests, there was a RPG, an old one called Traveler, years and years ago. I had a small group of friends, maybe seven or eight of us, that were so into this. And now here's a chance to actually, you know, live this, which is cool. Yeah, and really, really nice. The download for it is tomorrow. It's 140 gigs, man. It's insane. It's going to take like three days probably for me. But the download's tomorrow, and then it's about a week before you can play. Unless you have, if you bought, you know, paid the extra money or whatever, you can 
start playing on Friday, but otherwise most of us will play next uh, week. You know, I told you before the show that I've actually got a logbook to keep track of my time because otherwise I'm just going to get lost in this thing. It looks so awesome. That's really all I've been doing other in terms of games other than the Sigmar. Have you gotten any Sigmar? I don't think you've gotten any Sigmar games. No, I, I haven't. You know, Vince is the primary ringleader of stuff around here and he's been going to tournaments and he's at nova this weekend i believe so oh yeah and he was at nashcon yep okay yep cool just hanging out and building stuff for just building stuff not even painting just building models because i don't know what i want to paint and i don't know what i want to work on and you know just getting the boxes off the shelf and maybe something will come to me and i won't have to build it because it'll be (laughs) already built yeah events then uh we have the nova open this weekend coming up Mm -hmm. and I'm happy to announce that here in the Milwaukee area, we're going to have a one-day RTT at the end of September. I think it's on the 23rd. Our friend Dave Nordstrom is running it. It's being sponsored by Warped Storm Games. Our friend Antonio owns the store. And I'm really excited about that because it's like two weeks before Dragonfall, so I can get some reps in for sure. Perfect. Try out another list. And I'm really happy that it, it's only like 20 people, but I'm happy that it's been a good response so far, and I'm hoping it's going to sell out for Dave. And I'm really happy that he's doing this. So that's very exciting. And then Dragonfall, of course, first week in October. Vault Wars, Rock Con, Holy Havoc, running down stuff. Those things are all the same as they were. Wow. Okay, flying, man. Yeah, real easy. We're but... in the warp, so. It... <laughs> <laughs> the filler. The filler <laughs> show, everybody. <laughs> all right, man. Let us move on then to our main subject, which is getting back into the hobby. I mean, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. So we're back, listeners with Emperor Lies, and what we're going to do is, as Brenda said at the start of the show, kind of have a conversation with you about our thoughts in terms of getting back into the hobby. And again, if you're here already, it may be helpful for you if you know somebody who's not you know who has left the hobby and may be interested in coming back or if you're still playing but your interest is kind of waning this may be helpful to you as well so i think just about anybody can find something of interest here and what we want to do brendan is we said we want to start with a question which is why why did you move on whatever you moved on to another gaming system or just board games or something other than miniatures, whatever it is you moved on to, why did you do that? And I think there are a lot of answers to those questions, but we wanted to kind of run through at least some ideas that we have of why you may have moved. And the first one I have was going to another system. You know, maybe you see the rules for Sigmar and you're like, I don't know, this doesn't work for me or the models or the requirements, whatever else it is. And maybe you want to, God forbid, you want to go over to 40K, you know, (laughs) or maybe you want to play, you know, our friend Doug plays Conquest. And I know he really enjoys that. And there are other people who play Song of Ice and Fire. There's just all kinds of choices out there, obviously, for miniatures games. And so maybe somebody found something of interest. It's easier for them, more accessible, whatever else it is they moved on to that other system. So that's one thing that may have drawn you off. Another one, certainly, that we both experience, and I think everybody does, is life priorities. And that includes both time and finances. You know, maybe your situation's changed where you this just isn't a hobby you can afford right now. And then time. I mean, in your case, for sure, you know, where you're moving around, you know, to some undisclosed location, 
<laughs> you don't have time for this stuff when you're trying to move and you're trying to establish yourself somewhere else and do all those things that you need to do just to take care of yourself and the people you care about. You know, Sigmar doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, and know. along the same lines, right? You know, the other thing you talked about is finances. You know, this is a luxury hobby, mm-hmm. I think is, you know, putting it mildly. <laughs> I mean, there have been times where I've looked at some prices for models and I go like, that's what it's going to cost to build an army now. Like, <laughs> Ugh. well, I'll wait until someone gets disillusioned with it and wants to sell it for pennies on the dollar. Right. Yeah, no, you to know, your point there, when I saw, you know, I wanted to get three units of corn dogs and I looked at a box of those, I'm going, Jesus, it's like 60 bucks for five of those things. So I went to Etsy and I got them for like 20 bucks, you know, and they're still fine models. They'll do fine once I paint them. And it's that kind of stuff where you go, I cannot afford that kind of money for those models. This isn't something that, you know, is part of someone's life that should be a financial priority, right? You know, pay your bills, make sure you've got food on the table, you know, take care of all that stuff. Like it's okay to budget for the hobby. And I'll tell Mm. you, you know, that, you know, like if I'm ever in a situation where, and it's happened, where, you know, big expense comes up and you have mm. to dip into, you know, your savings because you weren't planning on having to make that spend. Mm. Like the first two things that go are eating out and <laughs> Warhammer. Yeah, right. And, you know, those mm. come off the board or they get reduced for a period of time until I'm back to where, mm. where I need to be. And, you know, you go from there. This never, and it should never be you know, a uh, part of your life where it's actively harming your ability to support yourself and your family, your loved ones, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, it's lovely to have an escapism, but you shouldn't be spending your last dollar on, you know, a bottle of paint. Right. You know, like <laughs> sure. You know, this community is great. I'm sure there would be people who would, you know, love to hand you a fistful of cash to paint their models for them. If, you know, if painting, right, is the thing that's important to you, Mm -hmm. there are ways to incorporate that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's not a, can you afford it? It's, are you making sure that the other needs in your life are taken care of first? Sure. And we're going to talk about resources to your point in a little bit with that. You know, I mentioned when I said in other systems, the rules themselves, you know, sometimes with changes in the general's handbook or you get a new book, you've had an army for a while and all of a sudden a new book comes out and you're looking going, wait a minute, this is not what I signed up for, right? Or right. the general's handbook comes out and the changes have a pretty significant effect on your army and you go on again, this isn't what I signed up for here. I'm going to look at something else for a while until this kind of comes back or I get enough motivation to look at something else within the hobby. So rules can certainly be a reason for moving on. I mean, I think we've known people who have been frustrated enough. There are also people, on the other hand, who come into this hobby because they're frustrated with, say, 40K or something else or some other system where it's like, oh, well, this is a lot better, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's all about what you're looking for, right? And what some of those other game systems allow for a person to do is one of the reasons Marvel Crisis Protocol is so popular Uh is it's a commitment to five or so models, mm. right? You know, the rules are a lot less dense. You can play faster. The mental load for an individual for a single game is so much lower, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's one of those things where I understand why a lot of people didn't enjoy Warhammer Fantasy Battles because it was a 200-page rule mm-hmm. book that was the yeah. equivalent of 
one of my college textbooks. <laughs> right, you know, right. For those who've never seen that book, maybe at some point I'll grab it off my shelf there and set it down next to, you know, thermodynamic principles and you'll go, oh, <laughs> oh, it's the same. I'd rather read the thermo book, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that can be a lot for, yes. you know, for people who don't have the time to do that. It's a totally valid reason. Absolutely. Right? You know, the, your hobby needs to be able to, you know, meet you wherever you are in your particular life setup, right? Agreed. It's okay for one game to work for you now, and then, hey, you know, you got married, you have kids, uh, whatever, right? Like, And you need to do something that's more adjusted to that, good for you. Take care of the things in your life that need taken care of. Sure. Uh, the next one we have down here is a lack of community. And I think, again, when you move, you know, if, if you move to a new place, that certainly is an issue, even if a place where you are you don't have the community that supports you being able to actually play the game. There's certainly a lot of people who are in that situation. Fortunately, there are a lot of people who are not, and they've developed a group of friends, and we're going to talk about resources, of course, where you can find people like that. But I do think that a lack of community is another reason that people either stay away or they move away from the hobby because they just don't have that support of other players that they can just sit down and roll dice with. Absolutely. I experienced this firsthand when I left for college. I love playing Warhammer Fantasy Battles. I had some 40k stuff with me, but the community primarily around where I was at was a Warma Hordes community. Mm. And you know, the second game that was played was 40k and it was basically me and one other guy on campus who played Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Mm. So I shifted to playing 40k. I bought some War Machine models that I've never seen an actual game of War Machine. <laughs> I made that shift myself to a different community. If there was no community, it would have been a period of time in which I basically I which I never would have played, right? Yeah. Other interests, that certainly is one. I know for me, just, you know, with Cindy and I taking up our being now, that certainly not in the winter time, but the rest of the year, that takes up time I had before, you know, and it's a wonderful thing. We've made that choice in terms of lifestyle, but it's something that makes it more difficult to engage in the hobby, more difficult to do this, you know, to support the podcasting that we do and all those kind of things. So if you have other interests that are important to you, then those can draw you away as well, certainly. The next thing we have listed is you kind of just get tired of your army. You know, you've been playing it for a long time and you just don't either have the resources or the motivation to build a whole new army because that is a whole nother thing. That's, it certainly it's, is. It's a monstrous commitment in terms of time and finances and you're kind of caught between, you know, the closing walls. Like, I really would like to start another army, but there's no way that I'm going to invest that time. But here's this one sitting over here that... I just don't have any interest in it anymore. Sure. You know, so you could end up kind of moving on to something else because at some point, and there are other people who play the same army for years and they just keep playing it and they love it. <laughs> they make their small changes. They find what works for them. They keep going with that. I can't say that I know what that's like to really want to stay on one army for that period of time because of the things that interest me in the game, right? Sure. You know, I enjoy trying and seeing things the different way. I'll pick out a couple of events every year where I go and try and win it. You know, not every army is always conducive at that moment in time to winning an event. 
basically every army can remain competitive, but right. it's a different thing. So the folks that are able to stay on an army that long, I always think is really impressive. Yeah. And you talked about some guy who played an army for like six or seven years, I think, or something. I mean, almost since the start. Yeah. Like second edition or something, you still get the same army. It's like, wow, that's really cool. It's commitment. Yeah, that's the word. Uh, I think the last thing, unless you know, you got some other stuff, is I think some people go to events expecting something in terms of their experience. You know, they expect to go, they expect it to be competitive because it is a game where you have to win or lose, right? But, you know, they have an experience with three or four players, maybe they're super, like, hyper-competitive. And those people don't make it, you know, like you. You know, I've always appreciated the way that even when you're beating the crap out of somebody, you're teaching them. And a lot of competitive players don't do that. And if you go to an event and you've spent all that time and stuff and the people that you play just make it really uncomfortable for you and an experience you don't enjoy, the chances are you're going to move on to something else. Yep. And so that kind of experience, you know, again, we'll talk about that when we talk about resources and some other choices you have. But I certainly think that's another reason that people maybe move on. Yeah, it's about finding the right events for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the first person to say that not every event is for every person. Mm-hmm. There are people who are not quiet about the fact that events that weight hobby and some of those softer things as mm-hmm. much as some of our more local events do, that's not for them. In the same way that I don't love the idea of going to a tournament, you know, that's going to be three or four days. It's going to be eight oh. to 12 games. Like, <laughs> I love playing the game at the highest level. I absolutely do. But when day three rolls around, I'm good. You're cooked. I, yeah, you're cooked. It, I just did it in June with teams. It was yeah. a total of six games, yeah. right? But it was a commitment of, you know, what amounted to five days for that mm-hmm. tournament, right? A day to get there, three days to play, and a day to get back. That's a lot of time, you know. Would I make more than one of those trips a year? Probably not. Yeah. So those are some of our ideas of why maybe you or somebody else have moved on. So I think what we want to do next is kind of go back and kind of go through some steps to think about in terms of getting back into the hobby. You know, what are some things maybe you could do or suggest to someone else? And I think the first step is to answer that why question we just talked about for you as an individual. There may be people, Brendan, who are still in the hobby, but they've lost interest. So it's not like they've left, but they're moving towards that. And so if they can answer that why question, perhaps they can have a chance to, you know, kind of reassess and see what's going on and maybe change their expectations a little bit. Or as we're going to talk about, play the game a different way, because you can. Answering that why question. The next thing is resources. And this is something you mentioned before the show that I wanted to make sure we added. You know, we talked about in why do you move on the time and the finances you know you have to as a player or potential player or somebody coming back you have to be able to answer the question does do i have the time or can i make the time and do i have the finances to support this hobby you know that's a good place to start yeah and this works differently for everybody right yeah. you know you know i've been quite well known on the show for talking about how I finished up work on Friday, you know, I got some dinner, I showered, you know, I ate, I sat down at my paint desk, I painted till 11 o'clock at night, I got up at seven o'clock in the morning, I painted until seven o'clock in the evening, I decide that's the first moment that I should take a breath, (laughs) you know, watch some TV, go back to sleep, Sunday I do the same thing and I go back to work, right, you know, you're Mm -hmm. talking about 
20 hours of hobby over the course of the weekend. Mm -hmm. That is not realistic for most people. No. You know, but there are people I know who have small kids and they set aside 20 minutes every day when, you know, (laughs) their kid is doing a specific task or, you know, they just went to bed or, you know, work from home. They just dropped their kid off from school Mm -hmm. and they've got a little bit before their first meeting, right? Carving out that window of time for you to do your thing or if playing games is your thing you know carving out that time once a month or whatever getting it planned and having it on the schedule and it being Mm -hmm. a fixture is its own way of handling that right right the finances i think is a little bit easier to manage right this is just a true or false statement right you Mm -hmm. know is this within my budget yes or no it doesn't always go to the extent of needing to buy the full army at a time I think one of the best and most reasonable ways of doing it is, you know, doing a box at a time or setting aside this many dollars for the month for that allocation and rolling Mm -hmm. it over when you don't have it completed. But being really cognizant of what your spend is going to be and you know, making sure that you stay within that framework. And in terms of finances, looking for alternate sources, we're not beholden to anybody on this show. So we can mention that, you know, going to whatever alternate source you have. I've mentioned NC on the show, certainly, because, you know, I got my whip thirster there. I got my corn dogs there, a couple other things. And I saved a lot of money <laughs> doing those <laughs> things and still got some really quality models. Look for those alternate sources and reach out to folks you know to see what those might be, to make the hobby more affordable for you and make sure that you can meet that expectation in terms of yourself. Another thing about resources is podcasts. And obviously, it's just a tad self-serving for us to mention this thing. But, you know, there are a lot of different podcasts that do a lot of different things. And again, we've mentioned that on the show before, but our goal here has always been to educate and entertain. That's really the focus. Even though we have a mid-tier player and an incredibly competitive, successful player here. It's still about helping folks learn how to play the game or what might work or what might not work rather than focusing on this is the master build or these are the things in this book that are just, you know, fine-tuned to just only focus on these units, those kind of things. So we try to do that, but that's our podcast. Other podcasts that are great for people who really want to prepare for competitive events or they want to prepare to be more competitive in terms of going to events. And on the complete opposite side, there are podcasts for narrative players. There are are people who are interested in the storytelling element of the game and their army and how it fits within that framework. That's one of the really nice things about the internet and the large-scale acceptance of this hobby in the way that it is, is that chances are you can find someone who's doing, if not exactly what you're looking to do, something very close to it. Yes. And as you mentioned, you know, telling the story, we're going to talk about Path to Glory in a little bit, but it's an alternate way to play the game, and it's much more narrative and much less competitive. And as you said, there are plenty of resources out there for that as well. Some great podcasts to follow along with, and if you haven't considered it, then listen to them and see if that's something of interest. I think the next thing is community. You know, how do you reach out to find out if there are people around you that you weren't aware of, you know, that might be interested in playing the game. 
one of the things you mentioned, the internet, you know, there are Facebook groups, there are discords, like out the whatever. There's so many discords now. So chances are, if you look just a little bit, you can find something or reach out to somebody you know at a local hobby shop, you know, say, hey, does anybody here play Sigmar? Yeah, oh, oh, Tuesday night's a Sigmar night. Or, you know, we have three or four people come in because really you only need a couple people to be able to get some games in and enjoy the game. You don't need like 10 or 15 or 20 people in a community to be able to do that. I think in terms of community, it's you have to be a little more proactive, but there yep. are plenty of resources. Yeah, if you get into one of these larger groups and you basically say, I'm roughly here, you know, <laughs> is there anybody in that area? If there's not, chances are someone knows somebody, right? You know, and, mm. and you can start working in the direction of getting something that works for you. And excellent point of just going into the hobby shop and, you know, saying, hey, you know, I do this, right? You know, I've certainly been referred by the game store. Hey, you know, this is the person you want to reach out to on Facebook. I'll shoot them a message and say, you know, hey, that you're going to be contacting them. Mm-hmm. You know, they organize, you know, this stuff locally. The chances are there's someone there, you know, who, who does organizing or is, you know, kind of the main person that plays it. And your local store will typically know who that is because they're the ones coming in and talking the shop owner's ear off about. Yeah, right. <laughs> sure. Those places want you to come in because at some level you're going to do some business with them, whether it's actually buying models or something or it's just buying a soda or something. At least you'll be there and you'll be doing some commerce. So they love that, yep. uh, that community kind of a thing. So the next thing would be, you know, if you've left because of the state of the game, you know, in terms of rules and armies and changes and stuff like that, you might be surprised, even if you've only been out for, let's say, six to nine months, or you know someone has been out for like six to nine months, there have been some pretty significant sea changes. So you may want to revisit the current state of the game, not only in terms of where do armies sit, you know, and what's of interest because rules have changed for an army that may make it interesting for you again when you lost interest in it, or just the overall rule set, the overall meta. You know, what does that look like? Where does your army stand or an army you might have interest in? Those kind of things. So I think it's worth the time to check back in with whatever resource you have to see what's going on. Yeah, and more so than ever, Games Workshop has stated a level of design interest that they are actively observing and pursuing You know what happens in the game state to try and bring things towards a notion of balance. Now, some of that obviously <laughs> is not always going to work out the way that they'd like it to, and you know it is a business, cynical yes. as, it, as it may be. The goal is to sell models, but you can reasonably expect a quarterly update to points Mm -hmm. and sometimes changes to rules. And then the two bigger updates, one in the summer, one in the winter, Mm. that seems to historically take in a aim with a larger caliber weapon at, at the problem where they are willing to, at least on the surface, take bigger swings at what the problem is. And they don't always address the things that are the biggest issue, but hey, more stuff than was getting addressed is getting addressed, so... Yeah, and I have to say, like, the Battle Scrolls, they really are pretty effective. All right, let's move on and talk about choices of how you play the game, because for some people, maybe the competitive side 
is where you want to be. You want to go to events, you want to hang out with your friends, or you want to win an event, or whatever it is. And again, you want to play the competitive side of the game and focus on that more. Or again, the beauty is you can go to Path to Glory and you can play a much more narrative game. Now, making it clear, and I'm sure most people listening know this, but Path to Glory is still competitive. You're still playing a game and somebody wins. The difference is, is there are a lot more elements in terms of when you play from one game to another that you can start writing and building this story, which is really, really cool. That's the first thing to think about. What do you want to play? How do you want to play the game? And you have a couple of really cool options and plenty of resources for both. Do you want the competitive or do you want the Path to Glory narrative side, which is very, very cool. Whenever I look at a book, I still kind of sneak a peek in there what's going on with Path to Glory. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm glad someone's reading it because those pages in my books <laughs> Yeah, are, of course. They're stuck together. <laughs> completely unthought of except for the, like, oh, why do they put this in between the rules that I need and the rules that everyone needs? <laughs> right. Uses? And it's not necessarily an and or, right? It's a full spectrum of choice, mm-hmm. right? You know, you can make the decision to be, you know, a person who is going to take a competitive lean. But the thing that's most important to them is being able to pick the units that you like and, you know, tell the story through your army construction and the mm-hmm. way that it plays and expresses itself on the table, right? At that point, you're going to have to make, you know, a cognitive choice of saying, hey, you know, I recognize and acknowledge that this is a suboptimal decision for competitive efficiency, but that's not what's most important to me. What's most important to me is getting this unit that I love to pieces mm-hmm. on the table and celebrating it, you know, when it does well and not getting too frustrated with myself when it doesn't. There you go. And knowing that it's helping you write that story. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what the narrative gaming is about in a lot of ways. Especially if you get in with a group is really into it. They love keeping track of that. And there's a lot of online communities, you know, groups of people that you're probably maybe never going to meet them, you know, who run online narrative mm-hmm. campaigns. Yeah. Right? It's animosity, I think, is one of them. Okay. And Games Workshop does it from time to time, where you can tell the story with the community at large about, you know, what's going on at this point in time, you know, with these kinds of heroes and villains and having your army be a part of that okay the next thing in terms of choices is find a competitive level that fits you most of the time my goal is to go for one and be in a position to bring home best in faction and bring home an award in other words yeah okay bring home some hardware like i will set aside a couple times a year and say I am going to do the prep that is necessary where the aim is to win the events. Those can be two very different things. But yes, my aim is not just win more than I lose, but be in a position to win my games. And there's some people who don't mind going 0-5 and and 1-4. and They go to events and they have a great time. And they have a great time playing the army that they're playing. Their priority isn't winning. Their priority is having a good time and being with, you know, other people who have that common interest of playing this game. And there's some people who, you know, want that three and two threshold. There are people like myself that I just want to make sure I'm improving over time. And when I see that improvement, that's a huge goal met for me. You need to find that level, though, and have that expectation really before you go to some of these events so that you're not, you know, kind of writing yourself off before you even get there. Not that you don't want to set your levels high, but you should set them at a level that lets you still enjoy the game. Yeah, and that's one of those things where I'll say, you know, you have to be careful about how much time you spend with some of the more competitive podcasts. Mm -hmm. 
because they are, and understandably so, you know, are likely to write off, you know, an army or a war scroll or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you may happen to really love that war scroll. That is totally fine, right? You know, you might love this particular subfaction, and you know, internet personality, you know, number four says that it's junk. Hey, it's okay, right? You know, if your level of competitive setting was that you want to win every tournament, the subfaction that you like the most probably wasn't going to matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, if your competitive setting is where most people are, that's totally fine. Yep. Right? Like, it's not a big deal you know, that that's something that is maybe not where you'd like it to be. You can sit down, take the time to understand the things that work with it and what's going to work best for you. Mm-hmm. And so when someone says, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting to see, you know, X, Y, Z, whatever, you'd go, yeah, that's right. You know, because I claim to know what I'm doing. So <laughs> one of the examples for me is building and painting and getting ready a bunch of Gossamids, you know, I would love to play them in a competitive event. And so maybe a one day event with three games that doesn't really matter a whole lot in terms of, you know, my expectation of getting better at the game or being good at the game. Let me try those out. See how they work. That's fine. You know, as you said. Oh, I like this. Oh, I didn't. You know, that's okay, right? Because a two-day event is a big commitment. Yeah. Right? You know, whether anyone's willing to, you know, openly admit that or not, even something that's nearby, it's time, right? You know, it's your whole weekend. It's money. You know, oftentimes you're going to have to pay for a hotel near the venue. You got to pay on how you're going to get there. You got to pay for your ticket into the event. You got to pay for your meals that, you know, oftentimes we're coming out of your fridge, right? Like, <laughs> right. You want your expectations to be level set for something like that. You know, I talk about how, you know, like ATC for me was, you know, a $1,000 weekend, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's the plane ticket. It's the entry fee. It's the rental car. It's the hotel, right? You know, a number of those things are split between people. You know, it's the time off of work. It's, mm. you know, the models I had to buy for that army. You know, it's what are you expecting out of a $1,000 weekend? Now, obviously, mm-hmm. not every tournament's a $1,000. But it's not unreasonable to say that most tournament weekends, you're going to spend $200 mm-hmm. between a night or two at a hotel, travel, food. Yeah. You know, 200 is probably on the low end. Uh, at a two-day event, absolutely. Yep. That's usually not insignificant money for most people. Right. So you want to make sure that you're enjoying your experience if you're going to make that investment. Yeah. You know, and that's why one-dayers are sometimes the perfect event for people, right? You know, you can negotiate with your significant other. Much more easily, yes. A 12-hour day where you're out as opposed to, you know, being gone Friday until late in the evening on Sunday. Yeah. You know, that can be a more difficult thing depending on where you are in your life situation. It's also yeah. an easier commitment for if there's a unit that you, like you're talking about Gossamids, have uh, a level of love for but just can't seem to put it in a list, perfect time. RTTs from a cost, opportunity, and actual perspective, much lower. Didn't win a bunch of games at the RTT? That's fine. You probably missed out on... You know, a couple of bucks worth of prizes, you know, but and you go, hey, you either know that you want to spend more time figuring that out or that this is fun and I'll do this from time to time. But, you know, they're not, <laughs> they didn't make the cut into the big list. Yeah, there you go. Yep. That's a great way to do it. I think that's it for choices. We talked about setting expectations before you go to an event. Here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Let's talk, like, it's really the last thing, I think, but there's several pieces and parts to it. Really, it's stressing the fact that you want to play the game you enjoy. 
because just human nature, you're not going to keep doing something you're not enjoying doing. And hobby is no different than that. If you're continuing to go to events or participate in something and you're just not getting that enjoyment and that fulfillment out of it, you're probably going to move on to something else. So in this case, we're saying play the game that you enjoy. And there are a lot of ways to do that. First is deciding, and it relates to what we just talked about, you know, where and when do you want to play? Do you want to play this game with friends on a weeknight or maybe a weekend and just have some casual games where you can throw down some armies and just roll some dice and have a good time? That's the environment you want to play in. When you go to an event, you're just going to have a casual army that you're going to put together. You don't have really any expectations, but you're going to be there with your friends, have a great time. Again, you're playing that game at the level that you enjoy it. So do that, whatever that is for you. Don't worry about those other pieces because it is your hobby experience. Not, nobody else is in the end. Well, people do tell you how to play the game, but you know, in the end, you don't have to listen to them you know, because you're the one, as you just pointed out, that have to make those investments. Whether it's time or money or anything else, they're not making that investment, you are. So you should be the one to make those choices. Another thing for me that's really important, again, I pointed out, Brent, I keep bringing it around to this, but I think that you make people's hobby experience, a gaming experience, a positive one, no matter how the game ends up. And I know how many times in the last several years have we played a game, and I probably beat you a handful of games, probably. But I know that I've still enjoyed it because even when the game ends, you know, Battle Round 2, it's like, I learned a lot. And you take the time and we talk through stuff and you should have done this, you should have done that, but you made the gaming experience more positive even when you don't have the outcome that you're looking for. And I think that's important no matter what level you play at is to, I think you have an obligation to try to make that other person have a positive experience. You know, I think about one of the joys of doing Youngbloods this year was having the chance to move around to all those different tables where all those young people who were totally different in terms of level of play. Some of them didn't really understand the rules or they were brand new or some of them were really good at the game at their young age. But it was so much fun and I enjoyed it so much helping them enjoy the game more. Even though I didn't roll dice once. So I think that's another important piece to help you enjoy the game. 100%. Absolutely. It's certainly one of the things that I should probably do more in the tournament setting, but more like local stuff. One of my first questions, you know, for people looking for pickup games is, hey, what level are we looking for? Are you trying to see like what the army does, right? Mm -hmm. You know, or like, do you want to see how this list functions? Are you preparing for a really big tournament? You know, what are you looking for here? Absolutely. And I acknowledge that I'm able to approach that from, you know, a slightly different position where, you know, I have the resources to match someone at whatever level mm -hmm. it is they're trying to get at. But it also shapes, you know, the way that you're going to be at the table. And, you know, you talk about community and finding that the most important thing in my mind, thing that you can do is find the community that matches where you are. Mm -hmm. And... It doesn't have to be in person. I have friends in this hobby whom I've never met mm -hmm. outside of a Discord server and a voice chat, and you know they are part of my hobby community. Sure, you know that's the truth of it. If what you have locally, especially if you live in lower populated areas, Discord, Facebook, those communities are equally valid in terms of enjoying what you enjoy. Right, TTS is something that 
you know, it's the online simulator, mm-hmm. especially if you can't get games locally. It's not my favorite, but, you know, if that's how you get games in, then that's what it takes. I think right? you mentioned the one individual who you lost to at the tournament, the preparation, right, that he put in, a lot of it was TTS, you know. Yep. And so here's a person who's playing at a really high competitive level that still does that to prepare without any real models before they get to the gaming table with an opponent. And related to what you just said, now you ask people, you know, what do you want in terms of what do you want this game to be? What do you want to get out of this game? I would tell people, don't be afraid to ask for games you play to be dialed into your skill level. So if I'm going to play you, you're going to ask me, you know, what do you want? Some people might be a little hesitant. Well, you know, Brendan knows more about the game than I do. So I'm just going to, whatever he thinks is, a, no, I want you to kick my butt. I want you to beat me by the end of game, turn two because I really want to get some tough reps in the first couple turns, you know, first couple battle rounds. Or, hey, I want you to give me an army across the table and I'm going to ask for you to bring something that I've got a, a decent shot of beating. You know, or let's just both bring some models we never thought we would play and do that. You know, but you shouldn't be afraid to ask for games to be dialed into your skill level. Because most people, to your point in the in communities that you find, are willing to do that. They're willing to play down or play up, if that's what they need to do, to help you have a good time. And that relates back to that. I think starting small is really important in playing the game you enjoy because oh, you know absolutely made, i can't tell you how many armies i've bought off of people who went way too big with their initial purchase and they said i'll never eat this elephant i don't love this army the way that i thought i would this several in some cases you know thousand dollar commitment i mm. you know i can't match and i go i'm very sorry to hear that uh, you wanted four hundred dollars for this right is that the <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I mean, pick a direction. You know, if there's something you and everybody says it, but it's not really cliche. You know, pick an army you like or you are interested in. You're interested in the lore. You're interested in the rules or the models, whatever it is. Pick up a box of something. You know, I want to play Ideneth. Well, pick up a box of eels. They're pretty cool. You don't. You don't have to start with a turtle. You know, turtles a pretty big model and it's complex in terms of painting and building. Start with something else. Start with, you know, Lotan. He's got an octopus on his back. He looks really cool. Build him, paint him, and then add something else. You know, it. Th- one thing about this hobby that's great is it is a building block type of a hobby. And you can get a thousand point gaming without having to make a big investment. Or if you're in a community, you can say, hey, you know what? I got 500 points of models. I just want a 500 point game. Again, asking for what you want. And so now you only have to invest in 500 points of whatever it is. Take it a model at a time or a unit at a time, whatever you want to do. But I think that's really important. Then I think that it's important to invest a little bit of time if you want to play either competitively or narratively. Because again, it's still a game where you have winners. Watch battle reports. I think it's worth taking the time and investing in that. Some of the battle reports are really entertaining. They're really well done, like super high. Isn't it Seasons of War that does that? That has that super cool narration and the music and all this stuff. When you watch battle reports, you'll get a feel pretty quick about whether you want to watch any more from that source because there's some you're going to watch and it literally is just two people in a basement that are kind of playing a game. They don't even put the scores up on the on the screen or anything else. They're just kind of playing, rolling dice, talking to each other. 
and they're not really engaged with you, you know, the viewer. And you're like, okay, pass on that because there's plenty of battle report sources. But I think that time, Brendan, is useful. What are your thoughts on that? I don't spend a ton of time watching battle reports, mostly because they end up frustrating me. Because I know the rule that they've missed, or you know, why did mm-hmm. you make that decision? And then I'm, I'm ready to shake the you oh, know, sure. the computer. But it's something that I found when I was first getting into Warhammer yes. Fantasy Battles. Yes. The battle reports were very different. I can tell you that much. People had these separate devices that were <laughs> called cameras, and they would have to take pictures or record and then load them up separately via cable and make basically a PowerPoint show. So I did a lot of that with Warhammer Fantasy Battles, and you're right, the content creator makes a huge difference, right? Mm -hmm. Seasons of War is the premium (laughs) S-tier best that there is. I'm obviously going to advocate for, you know, the Dias cast, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I think I play pretty well on it when I'm on, where... You're going to be able to follow along what's happening, understand the decision-making. The people that stop and take a break and explain why they've done things, I often find to be the most useful because Mm -hmm. if you don't know why someone made the decision they did and they won and that was a fundamental part of their strategy, then how did you learn that, right? You can't repeat the steps and expect the result without understanding the intention, right? Like It would be like trying to understand... You know, the Romans are surrounded at the Battle of Cannae, and, you know, they're fully enveloped. You go, oh, well, of course, as long as you fully envelop your enemy, uh, you know, you'll win the battle. But, you know, Dan, you know, I'm sure this is something they taught you at the Naval Academy. How they got to that place yeah, of course. was very different than what the end result looked like. Sure. To your point with that, also when you watch what people do and you see how different units work, If you're watching one for the army you're interested in, it's a great way to see those War Scroll rules applied on a board. And it's a good exercise for me, like when I do watch Seasons of War, well, where did that rule come from? Or do I really know the rules for that War Scroll well enough to know what they did with that? And so it's a great way to motivate you to get to know your War Scrolls and your book a little better so that you'll have a better understanding of what they are doing. And then it's a way to kind of validate what you do know. He's like, oh yeah, I understand what he did. I understand exactly what he called, what he used, what battle tactic or whatever it is. All right, anything else with this? I feel like there's so many things. Like, it's totally fine to not be engaged with the hobby for no reason. None of this is mandatory. Yeah, that's true. Contrary to popular belief, you absolutely are allowed to walk away for no reason. And you don't owe it Mm -hmm. to anybody to have to come back. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you can take as much or as little out of it as you want. You know, you can be involved in something. And, you know, like I think a lot of us would be dishonest with ourselves if we said, oh, yeah, everything I've ever gotten into, I've been all in all the time, always, forever. (laughs) Right. That's not normal. You need help. Uh, (laughs) Sure. (laughs) It's totally normal to want to go do something else or for something to not make you happy about it. Like, I have made no secret about how I really haven't enjoyed third edition very yes. much from the outset. You know, the number of models I've painted, the number of armies I've painted has been a lot lower in third edition. Mm-hmm. I feel like I was painting an army a month in second during the height of, you know, 2018, 2019, when you know, I had the time, I had the energy, I had the motivation. I was really riding a wave of how I related to that game and what I was getting out of it. Sure. And, full speed ahead all the time 
Mm-hmm. And now it's, you know, building a unit of gut rippers because, ah, they're cool. Yeah, right. Don't have enough of them built. Yeah. And, you know, okay. Will these get painted? Yeah, probably at some point. And when, you know what? How I much is know. enough? I, I don't know. And it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? It's, yeah, that's great. It's totally okay to be involved as much or as little as you'd like. To jump back into it isn't as big and scary of a thing as maybe no. it used to be. I feel like it's a lot more accessible. There are things that are more complicated, but I think the resources to help make that an easier transition are as accessible as, as it's ever been from a myriad of places. You know, you're not going to have to find one specific set of message boards on the internet. You're going to be okay. All right. I think that's it then for getting okay. back into the hobby. With that, we hope it was of interest and useful for your listeners, as always. And we are going to go and talk Scriptorium. Etc. 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 Scriptorium. Uh, we have one new release we haven't talked about, which is a free guild's omnibus, appropriate for cities coming out. Looks like it's about ten or twelve stories. Pretty interesting stuff. So if you are looking forward to cities or if you are already interested in the free guilds, this book would probably be of interest to you. So, But that's it, Brendan, really, for new releases. Nothing else. Well, fair enough. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I could make some stuff up, but <laughs> people would call me out on that. I'm sure they would figure it out very quickly, Dan. Dan, and what are you wonder, talking and about? why. What incentive did you have doing this? Back in 19... 19- 1973, I read a book. Okay. <laughs> you reads, listens, stuffs. Yeah, so I started listening to a biography of Leonardo da Vinci. So I'm about a quarter of the way through it. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why I started it or why I picked it. I said, that looks interesting. Okay. And, you know, been plugging at that here and there. And has it been of interest? Yeah, I've enjoyed it. You know, they certainly do a very good job of touching on how frustrating a character Da Vinci was. <laughs> sure. Almost to the point where you can kind of sense it in the narrator's voice mm. uh, as they're, you know, talking about his different interactions and be like, and once again, you know, Leonardo left this beautiful commission halfway done and it changed <laughs> the world and everybody just wishes he would have finished it. Oh, God. To me, that's very funny. You know, they've gotten in his life story to the place where he's basically on loan by the Medici family, Mm. you know, for, you know, it's the culture victory in Civ that they Mm. have him working. Yes, of course. Yeah. You know, I've been listening to that. And then two documentaries have come out, both sports related, both for the lexicon of, I guess they're both college football ones. One's technically not, but kind of related. So the first one is Swap Kings. That's on Netflix. It's a four-part documentary about the quote-unquote good years of the Urban Meyer reign. Mm. And I will tell you from me, unless you're bored, skip it. Or if you're a Florida football fan, then watch it. But if you're just a nationwide college football fan, they don't really cover any new ground. That's a particularly interesting time for the tenure of Urban Meyer. That 2008 team was deeply, deeply troubled. included multiple players who ended up killing people at some time or another. And a lot of it was put in the shadows because it's Gainesville, right? It's a town where all there is is UF. You know, 
held behind the shield of men of God in the form of Tim Tebow and Urban Meyer. Yeah, sure. That a lot of people looked the other way as to, you know, some of these guys are not great dudes. They didn't cover it hardly at all. Not a documentary from my perspective. It's just some University of Florida hype video. If you're a Florida okay. fan, it's great. You know, it's your glory years. Okay. Go, enjoy. Go for it. Okay. The other one is on HBO Max. It's a documentary called, an actual documentary called BS High. It's uh, about the Bishop Sycamore, the basically fraudulent game that was played on ESPN in the fall of 21, oh. where IMG Academy ended up playing this team on ESPN 1, right? Main ESPN on a Friday night, the game. And it was basically, you know, the best high school prep program in the country versus what ended up being a completely fraudulent setup. They get the guy who is at the heart of it to sit down and talk unedited about it. And he exhibited the behavior of someone that I would consider to be evil. Okay. He did some, in my opinion, really messed up stuff to these kids Mm. from a trust and financial perspective. That's horrible. If you're going to watch one of those two, it's that one. I walked away from it stunned Mm. at what this individual considered to be, in his mind, a totally legitimate and completely reasonable thing to do to a group of young men. Seen any movies? Yeah. Saw Oppenheimer. What did you think? I quite enjoyed it. You and I talked a little bit last week about it, and I felt, at least as far as you know, the things that I know about him and his life was... Mm-hmm pretty accurate i had a couple of gripes you know but they were all things done for the sake of movie making yes i still contend that matt damon as general leslie groves is ridiculous (laughs) at probably any point in leslie groves life that was you know a very generous visual rendering of him Mm -hmm. Uh, you know maybe he was that handsome as a 20 something but (laughs) he was a desk general right like that's what he was but robert downey jr's character was so awesome spot on he's such a great actor man what have you gotten done? Ooh, man. Just a few things, I'm sure. I finished How the Backup Catcher. If you are a baseball fan, I would recommend the book. Very interesting. And I started two books. The first book I wanted to read for quite a while, and I was inspired, you know, last weekend was Irish Fest, which, you know, I've talked about ad infinitum on this show going to it. It's a collected poems of W.B. Yeats, who was an Irish poet. And there's some poems in there that are really, I've always remembered lines out of these poems. So when I saw the whole thing and I'm reading through it, it was really cool. So that's been really fun. And then I finally found an objective book on MacArthur. It's not American Caesar. It's not MacArthur's Reminisces, which was his own memoirs. It's called MacArthur Reconsidered. And this guy has really taken the time to express who MacArthur really was. He gives MacArthur credit where credit is due. For example, his experiences and his valentry in World War I is acknowledged. Inchon in Korea was acknowledged that that was a brilliant move. But then everything else in this guy's career was just about him, him, him. It's all about him. He talked about how there was a conference, I think it was in 1943, where they were trying to figure out the strategy for the Pacific. Mm -hmm. And they were considering several different options. And MacArthur always dragged the conversation back to the Philippines, because that was his thing that he was just obsessed with. And there are people like Nimitz and Halsey and King that were saying, we can literally bypass the Philippines and we could still beat Japan. 
And MacArthur was no, no, no. And the amount of resources and lives that were spent in order to get to that, it's just so fascinating to read about his personality and how he was a huge prevaricator all the time. He literally lied to his superiors. He lied to his troops. It's interesting to, again, have an objective view of this guy who I've never really been fond of anyway, but very, very good book and well-researched and well-written. I finished listening to Fear to Tread, which is the Blood Angels. It's a foundational read to me in the heresy so that you can understand who and what the Blood Angels are. I finished Shadow of the Eighth, which is the third Mikulens book. I would tell people that if you have not listened or read the first two books, this will be a very difficult book for you to jump in to the Minkalensk saga because there was just a lot of nothing happening in these huge spans of the book. And it was just a lot of writing about the characters and kind of what was going on around them. But there wasn't a lot of action. There wasn't a lot of story development. And all of a sudden, boom, you got some of that. But if you didn't know who she was or her background or the other stories, I think it'd be very difficult to get through this book. And I'm starting Hunt for um, Valdorius, which is the White Scars Raven Guard 40K book of them hunting down this demon prince, which I think is going to be cool. In terms of watches, I had not watched The King's Speech for a long time. And that was just such an amazing movie. Those two actors was fantastic story and the acting was exceptional my friend mike who has not been able to go to movies for a while he's my movie buddy you know we talked about him but he's finally able to get back out on the movie circuit again and he's just like texting me hey you want to go to a movie want to go to a movie like every other day i want to go to a movie <laughs> So he wanted to go see Blue Beetle. I was like, I kind of know what that is, but I didn't. You know, it's that DC character. And it was okay. It was entertaining. It didn't take itself too seriously. Family was kind of the focus of the story. If you have kids, they would probably enjoy it. It was a three out of five, maybe. But on Sunday, Mike... And I were out with our families and stuff at a beer garden in Milwaukee. And he kind of conspiratorially comes up. He goes, Dan, today it's $4 movie night. <laughs> like, okay. Like, I would try to be quiet. And he's like, let's go see Gran Turismo. Okay. We had just seen a trailer for it like two or three days before, right? What a great movie. It was just so much more than I had expected. And for those who don't know, but I think most of the people do, uh, Gran Turismo is a driving simulation. It's not really a game. It's a very, very, very detailed simulator. This is the story of a young man from England named Jan uh, Markaborough and his chance to go from being a sim driver to an actual driver on a racing circuit and a real race car it was just excellent. It easily for me was as good as Ford versus Ferrari. It just had a different focus. Not what I was expecting, but by the end of the movie, I really, really had enjoyed it. And I told you before the show, one of the interesting things, listeners, is the uh, the actual individual, Jan, who this movie was about, actually was the stunt driver for the young man who drove in the movie which was so cool when I found that out. So those have been my watches. Oh, the huge movie news, Brendan, is that Dune has been moved till spring, as you I, well know. I saw that, and I meant to text you when I saw it, but I was like, <laughs> oh, he's inconsolable right now, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. But the good news is we saw that trailer when we went to Gran Turismo, and Denzel Washington's third movie. Number three. Equalizer. Equalizer. Yes. Just saw the trailer. That's coming out Friday, and I really want to see that because both those first two movies were excellent. His character in these movies is just amazing in the way he plays him. So that's really exciting news. All right. That is it for Scriptorium. Let's move on to some questions, my friend. 
All right, buddy. What are we uh, doing? I'm going to have you go first. Again? Okay, good. So my first one is a sports question. Okay. This is Dan's opinion only, of course. I'm going to express it here that after NIL, transfer portal, the massive disruption in the conferences and stuff, college football is kind of done to me. It's just like the next thing I expect is for CBAs to start showing up, collective bargaining agreements. It's almost like college football has become a cost-free farm system for the NFL, which is interesting, I think, the way that's kind of worked out. That all being said, if you were to back off on one of two things, which would it be? If you were to back off on NIL, name, image, and likeness, or the transfer portal, which one would you back off on as a college football fan? Like to get rid of? Yes. Or I would get rid of the transfer portal. I think everybody has a right to make money off of mm -hmm. their name, image, and likeness, especially okay. when you are providing value publicly to an sure. institution that is actively marketing you to make money. I think you deserve a cut of that. I get right that there is a conversation and argument around the scholarships providing a value. They absolutely do. That mm -hmm. should absolutely be considered as part of that. But when you take into consideration the billions of dollars that mm -hmm. are moved in through television deals. Okay. Every Big Ten school is going to make $51 million from <laughs> sure. their TV deal alone. Right. Just the TV contract, they're right. going to make $51 million. Why is that worth $51 million? Mm -hmm. you know, part of it's the school, but the other part of it is the people that you know are contributing to add value to those institutions. Which are the so, players. Yep. So... I love what the transfer portal does. It allows mm -hmm. for, you know, players to if there's a situation that's not working for them, right? They came to play for a coach. They're mm -hmm. a couple years in. That coach has left for a better job or has been fired. Mm -hmm. They're not stuck at that institution. You know, they're able to play the next year before you had to sit out a year. It kind of sucked. You would still be able to transfer. You would just be under the normal restrictions of what it was before. Mm -hmm. But you would be able to at least publicly make money as opposed to what was going on in the sport before, which was everything was under the table. Yes. Everything was illegal. Everything was a problem. Some of that stuff, I guarantee, still happens. But it can all happen out in the open now. Okay. At least most of it. Fair. All right. The next one is a miniatures question. Okay. So if you were starting from scratch, you had no models at all, would you start to play Song of Ice and Fire or Old World? Both square oh. bases. As a jumping in point, I think a Song of Ice and Fire is probably easier to get into. Mm. I don't know that I can completely you know, <laughs> extricate myself from how much I loved Warhammer Fantasy Battles. Sure. Maybe having known nothing... I would like a Song of Ice and Fire, right? You know, I'd seen okay. the TV show, right? You know, like, if all of my Age of Sigmar collection went away, I would probably get into Old World, right? Okay. You know, that's fair. Because I loved the game that it's being based off of. Okay. The next one is, if you were going to go to live off-grid, okay. would you prefer desert? Because a lot of people live in the desert in California and other places out west. Or would you prefer a mountain setting for off-grid living? Probably a mountain setting. I think you're going to have more resources you need to survive in that kind of environment. Okay. Now, there obviously are you know, arid mountains and things like mm -hmm. that, but more mountains are traditionally temperate and multi-climate in nature okay. and usually include wood. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, it's kind of important, yeah. You know, build All some right. shelter, yeah. there's some water, right? Yeah. Like, Okay, 
this Sunday. You have a choice in an outdoor beer garden or a microbrewery. I think this is one of my favorite things about living in Milwaukee proper, like actually mm. in the city, is you could do both. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I would say some of my favorite summer days were spent at the Von Trier you know, beer patio uh-huh. mm-hmm. on the east side. So I, I'll oh, take yeah. the beer garden. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's one of our favorite things to do with our friends is uh, go to these beer gardens because uh, Sprecher actually sponsors multiple of these in Milwaukee and they're mobile. So they move between different parks and different communities. And it's always cool to see where they are. Those are really nice, yeah. yeah. The last one is... If you were going to get a new computer RPG, would it be sci-fi or fantasy? Probably fantasy. I don't know what it is. The sci-fi stuff, it just doesn't hold me anymore. Maybe it's mm-hmm. because, you know, some of the things, you know, that we predicted we've moved into and, mm-hmm. you know, seeing the way that we portray future science fiction societies is mm. maybe a little too depressing. Um, <laughs> I would really love for our science fiction settings to be not post-apocalyptic, you know, not things that have gone wrong. but Less dystopian. You know, if we put the image of a utopian society in front of us and then, you know, play a game where the things under the surface aren't right, okay. I think maybe I'd be more interested in something like that. Okay, fair. All right, that's my five. Okay, over to me then. We'll start with a preview question. Tomorrow is the the Nova preview. What are you hoping for from the Age of Sigmar section? For models, yeah. Models, book, we're probably going to get a roadmap of some variety. Mm -hmm. I have a couple things. First of all, I would like to see a 2024 roadmap. Okay. That would be really nice. Uh, Or at least part of it. Right, right, the first six months, let's say, or something like that. That would be really nice. And it could be for everything. I don't care, but I want to see the Sigmar one for sure. And then I would like to see... You know, I kind of joked around when we were at Meltdown about some extra units that I'd like to see for my Sylvaneth. Like a battle bear, you know, it would be cool. It would just be a neat thing. Who knows what else? Uh, But something fun like that, that I could add to my Sylvaneth army, I think would be really, really fun. And and I don't know what they'll come up with or what they're going to have. But now I'm hopeful that because we've still got two of the Dawnbringers books coming up, we're supposed to get one, I think, in September here. Yep. And there's at least another one here before the end of the year, I think is what we know. I'm hopeful that because of how much they included Alarial in the first book in terms of the lore, that Sylvaneth will be one of the you know, factions that get something in these books. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And hopefully they would showcase something like that. But you get that smile on your face. I was like, oh, God, what is he going to ask now? <laughs> There's some interesting ones in here. Okay. Talking about the show, you know, we talked about getting back into the hobby. What is the one Age of Sigmar podcast or YouTube channel that you would recommend for someone getting back into the hobby that isn't ours? Mm. Could it be like a battle report channel? Sure. Would that be okay? Yeah. yeah. That's why I included YouTube channel. Yeah. I think... Seasons of War for me is so entertaining and enjoyable. If I didn't know anything about the hobby and I started watching those videos, I would get interested in the hobby just because they're so well done. You know, that would be really, really cool to me. So the other one I might look at is our friends who do Mortal Realms is another podcast. I think they do a really nice job with that. And so that might be one I would recommend as well, Brendan. Okay. Yeah. Easy enough. Do you have one just to kick back real quick that you would like? Yeah, to watch? that isn't ours. 
I actually don't consume very much Age of Sigmar content mm. anymore. Mm-hmm. I think Seasons of War is a really good pick. Mortal Realms was going to be up there for things that I pick. The other one that I would say is probably Garage Hammer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because they do the lore episodes, right, where yes. you get an idea of you know what's in the book. And then they do the War Scroll review. And I think you and Dave share a very similar energy in that you get real excited yeah. about what all of it is, you know, why tech talks about all the time you know how after they finish a show he always wants to play that army yeah so yeah i can't tell you how many times we've closed that battle tome (laughs) you know i start to put it in my bag and you go man what a cool army like i'd love to play this (laughs) it's true you know cindy kind of looks at you she uh, holds up two fingers just keeps two two (laughs) yeah that's great cool what's next (laughs) <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari or Gran Turismo, which you and I talked about offline that they're similar movies but different for different and unexpected yes. reasons. Mm-hmm. You felt that both of them were pretty good. If you had to recommend one of the two to, uh, we'll call it an, an aspiring motor racing enthusiast, mm-hmm. which is the movie that you would recommend? I would say Gran Turismo, only because it's less technically oriented. I think that there was a lot of automotive vocabulary that was used in verbiage in Ford versus Ferrari, appropriate, the way it should be. But I don't know that everybody who would watch that would understand what those things were and how they made a difference in how the car, they wouldn't understand the mechanics of doing this or that and how it improved whatever. Gran Turismo was more of, you got the experience of driving, you understood that piece of it, but you got a little bit of the mechanical piece, but not enough that it detracted from the journey that you were watching on the screen. That would be my choice. Okay. Spoiling show close here. The next show that we're doing is going to be the City's Battle Tome. Yes. What are you looking forward to most in the City's book? I'm looking forward to seeing how the shooting side of this army is. I want to see how beasty it is or how reasonable it is. Because, you know, we've seen some awesome models of the cannons and the cannon crews and all that stuff. But when you look at the profile and you take it in the big picture, it's not that devastating. You know, it's still a great model, but it's not something that's going to just wrench the guts out of armies. But, it, you know, it's a piece of something else. So I want to see how many more of those kind of things there are. There's there's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I'm looking forward to going over it to see if that balance is present. Present. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. Last question. Yes, sir. Sports. We just finished up week zero of college football. Mm-hmm. We saw what we expected we were going to see in the game involving your alma mater. But a question about a game that is probably never going to involve our schools. Yes. College football playoff is, mm-hmm. you know, a solid five months away. Oh, yeah. What four teams are going to be in it, Dan? I've looked at this, so Georgia and Alabama, for sure. Ohio State, I think, will be. My fourth team, man, I'm really groping for that one. Those three just pop up right away to me. I don't know. Um, It's very early, and I'm going to, you know, just like I made some prediction before that was just totally nuts. I think Penn State might have a chance this year. Okay. I think, I don't know. They seem to have finally found their place, and I think they could be in the top ten pretty reasonably so if they can have you know make some exceptions get some 
you got to win the games you're supposed to, and yes. there's two games that you got to win other than that, and one is against Michigan, and the other is against Ohio State. <laughs> right. And if you can win, you don't yeah. even have to win both of them. If you can win yeah. one of them and look really good mm-hmm. in the one that you lose, and then, you know, they no. screw up somewhere else, you're in. That's it then. And That's it for me. Time for show close, buddy. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Okay, Sunday announcements. Sunday announcements. Tyranids. The Great Devourer has returned in book form. (laughs) So, so many Tyranids. Oh my gosh, some of those models, Brendan, it's scary. Like, I look at that Norn Emissary. That Norn Emissary model is huge. I just want to build that. It just looks amazing. It'll be really, really fun to see what comes out of the conversations in the next couple weeks as people start telling us what's in the book, you know. Tyranids are going to be a force to be reckoned with. It's, you know, the book that I talked about with them coming back as something totally different than they have been. It looks to me, at least, like the rules, they're going to be something different than people have seen before in 40K. I think it's great. So that's, yeah. that's the big thing, right, is Tyranids. Yep, uh, Tyranids, Tyranids, Tyranids. Oh, more Tyranids and uh, Tyranid dice. <laughs> yes, There's a Horus Heresy plane. Cool. Nice, yeah. Then it's books. All I wish is that that Biovore model had been out about a year ago so that <laughs> I could have used it for my Sylvaneth conversions oh, for Adepticon. Sure. That thing is perfect. Very cool. Oh, well. I'll have to find another thing to include it in on. All right, Q&A. So I took... One of the questions that we got asked at dinner at Midwest mm-hmm. Meltdown said, yes. I'm going to file these away to ask again yep. on the show. Absolutely. One of the questions that I think you and I both enjoyed was a question for both of us. So the question is, who plays the other person in a movie about your life? That's a question to me about who plays Dan and a question to Dan about who plays me in a movie about our lives. Dan's movie, I guarantee, is way more interesting than mine, <laughs> at least to this point. <laughs> If you really like spreadsheets, then my movie is going to be great. Uh, (laughs) I've thought about these questions, too. So those who were sitting at the table who are listening to this, and I've got a QA and a from the same place, I know my answers to the questions now are different than they were when we were all sitting there. I love Blade Runner. So I think the person that you would play in that movie, which is the question, would be Roy Batty who's played by Rutger Hauer. He's the replicant who's kind of the leader of the replicants. He's super intelligent, but he's also got this, like, not that you have this rage, but man, when you get committed to something, you are just focused. You know, when you're playing a game and stuff, and Roy, when he gets on something, man, you just see he's focused. So that would be my person. Yeah, I gotta pull up my images here. Okay. I picked, for Dan, Clint Eastwood. Obviously not current 80-some-year-old yeah, right. Clint Eastwood. No. You know, in this hypothetical universe that we were creating, I picked age-appropriate Clint Eastwood for all the different steps of Dan's life and career. So, Okay, Clint Eastwood it is. So my question, Brendan. Yeah, what do you got? Was if you could cosplay somebody from Nighthaunt, who would it be? And I had to think about this more and look at what's on my shelf still because I still kept some models. Bodie McBoatster, otherwise known in the Battle Tome as Ulrich the Drowner, was just like, that would just be perfect for me. I mean, 
He's on a boat. He's a guy on the ocean, right? He's got that giant oar. He's got this cool cloak. And my hair is the right color. Um, <laughs> it's just like, that's who I would play if I was to go to a cosplay for Night Hunt. All right, we'll get to the other ones in other shows, right? You got them. Brendan, okay. what about episode 129? We're hoping for Cities Battletome, yes? Yeah, so that should be the Cities of Sigmar Battletome review episode. We are prepared for a very long episode because it's a big book <laughs> with is, you know, we just talked about it's very complex, a lot of interactions, a lot of things, synergies, a lot of things going on that we're going to have to try to talk through with the listeners. Just got to get our hands on that bad boy. I think that's it, man. That, yeah, that's, right. that's the show. All right, so, Coolio. From log on to log off, it's going to be about two hours. So <laughs> okay. enjoy the short one, listeners. <laughs> yeah, there we go. All right. Well, thanks, man. As always, great seeing you and catching up. We don't get a chance to do that very much anymore. And listeners, as always, thank you for coming by. I do want to say thank you for sticking with us and making this show successful because the numbers we have seen in the last couple months, man, have just been really, really gratifying. And it's because you download the show and you listen to the show and you come back. And again, we really, really appreciate that. So with that being said, everybody take care, stay safe, and don't forget shenanigans because life is better when you are up to something. Bye. This is